connecting to the AOC Podcast Network. Enjoy your stay. AOC Community Media presents Mind on Media. Hi guys, I'm Christy here with the rest of the AOC gang. And we're back with another episode of Mind on Media Conscious Conversations, where we are always increasing the dialogue around relevant media literacy topics and challenging you to think more critically about the realm of media as you or I know it. In this episode, we are deep diving into the topic of data privacy. We'll be breaking down the concept of your digital footprint and how this footprint can work to your best benefit or your worst detriment. Now, I think um, it's become increasing, increasingly more difficult each day for um, those of us who are modern day social media users to maintain our personal data privacy while also maintaining an online presence. And in this conversation, as we're mentioning our uh, digital footprint, um, I just wanted to sort of share that um, we are speaking on a body of data that exists as a result of your different actions and communications online that can in some way be traced back to you as an individual. So as we kick off this conversation today, uh, can you guys help share with our viewers um, a bit more of what some examples are when we're talking about a digital footprint? Um, What type of data is being collected that perhaps um, the general consumer may not know or think about. Um, I think one in my one of my examples that I thought of um, was particularly with um, location in my uh, Google Maps app. Um, I started to notice that I would get these um, pings for my um, commonly travel places, and then I remember Google like pinging me at one point, like you're here a lot. Would you like to mark this place as work as your workplace um, or as school? Like they would start sending those recommendations and stuff. So um, it sort of gave me some insight into how much the frequency of my traveling was uh, was being tracked um, that I didn't think about immediately. Um, but I, I don't know. Have you guys have ever experienced? Um, some sort of footprint that you were leaving that perhaps you didn't uh, recognize that at the moment. Um, what's been your experience? Well, I'll, I'll jump on in. Uh, I can definitely remember the first time I started getting advertising sent to me based on like searches that I did. So just not even social media, but just internet searches for let's say audio equipment, things like that. That that's often like an instantaneous thing. If I if I need to purchase a piece of gear and I go look at it, uh, you know, the minute I start looking at it, the next minute I'm seeing advertisements filled out across the web and in news sources that I read. And, in, you know, I don't, I'm one of those weirdos who doesn't do social media at all. So I don't see it in there, but I see it in every web page I go to. It would be there if you went there. <clears throat> I'm sure. And that's a good thing. Yeah. They collect your footprint. And then they tell you they're using it to service you by showing you the ads for the things you already expressed an interest in. So it comes off from the front end of the story as a sales pitch. Hey, this is a great thing. You're interested in audio gear. That's what we're going to show you. 
But the flip side of that is <laughs> that's all we're going to show you, and we're only going to show you the brands that pay us, and who knows what. So your your footprint has it carries it carries a whole lot of burden. It's not just where you are. It's but in the location part. Christy started with the geolocation thing by knowing where you go and where you travel. They know what you eat. They know who your friends are. They know where your drug dealer lives. They know that you spend a lot of time on this kind of habit. They know other people who come to see you because they're tracking their travels too. So they know who you interact with just by geography. Not any. You don't have to be on social media at all. They know where Matt. They know Matt's circle of friends. They know his life just by geography. Way way better than most of us would like to admit. And, and that's. That's easily gleaned data. When they start parsing your digital footprint and what you said on social media or who you said it about, that's an exponentially more devastating uh, amount of control. <laughs> that's kind of what the, your digital footprint is giving up control of your life to somebody else. That's kind of scary. Well, to those are, those are good examples. Of, there we go. Uh, I'll stop talking now. Thanks, Will. Well, those are good examples, like what Christy described versus what Matt described are examples of good examples of both a passive digital footprint and an active digital footprint. So like the geolocating is your passive digital footprint. Christy didn't have to do anything other than have her GPS active, whereas Matt had to actually enter something into a website to get those returned, which is a more active digital footprint. Anything you submit Oh, but the web server you're submitting it to is tracking your IP address. It's tracking what you submitted. It's tracking keywords. It's tracking your interests. Uh, the passive digital footprint is just tracking Christie's movements and the, the locations it already knows that she's visiting. Uh, so it's important to keep the the two in mind. There's two, you know, there's multiple types of digital footprints, uh, and I guess it's up to debate which one is more insidious uh, but there there yeah there there are multiple digital footprints that you have to be aware of when you're trying to keep track of your online your online footprint your shadow so to speak yeah i know for me uh i i, I sort of am careful where i step my footprints uh but you can't get away from it it's always going to chase you it's always going to find data to mine off of you uh for me in particular it's uh with Alexa, which is sort of the mother of listening devices for what you're doing on a day to day, especially with like music, uh, like you'll if you have a song that comes up or you listen to a radio station or something like that, and you're like, oh, I don't like the song next or Alexa next or next, you know, she's taking all those specifications. She <laughs> it is taking all the specifications to, you know, give you what you are ultimately asking for and so more lately i've seen or i've asked, asked for it to place just general radio stations and it's playing the songs that songs that oh it stole your mic again boost turned your mic off it's like what's happening it does it on its own it's crazy it's, it's, it's yeah, that, knowing what i'm doing and it's trying to keeps waving uh, no but it, uh yeah, so that's it. Basically, it's just, you know, she's listening as well as, you know, taking entries that you're doing manually. Or uh, So, Will, what would that be as far as passive or active? Uh, like a listening, would that be 
passive. Uh, if, if you're interacting with it, it's active. It's an, if she's yeah, just listening to you, then it's passive. But if you're saying next, next, or like play this song, that's more of an active footprint because you're interacting with Alexa at that point. If she is, if if you're standing in the kitchen and making spaghetti and talking about different types of ragu, and you start getting like Alexa starts recommending like different types of spaghetti sauces and that's a passive footprint. That's her listening to you, not you interacting with her. It is funny too, that we've gotten. So like you corrected yourself, you said it, you said she a couple of times and you said it, it is funny how like we've normalized uh, like these gender identities on these listening devices and yeah. I, I remember reading a study a while back about why they're all female and I can't do it justice. Uh, but there's a good reason all of these, these devices are female and not male. It's probably that motherly sort of thing. It's a comfort on, thing. You know? Yeah. And it's yeah. a trust thing. And it's a misogynist thing. Y'all let's they probably a little bit of that too. Yeah. Digital sexism. Well, and they did, they did initially try and do asexual voices or like robotic voices. And it just made people uncomfortable. No, there's a whole lot of science behind using women voices for manipulation and men voices for the other kind of manipulation. It's just a well thought out chair. It's because the computer from Star Trek always helped you. And Hal tried to kill you. That's it. <laughs> Dave, but if your digital footprint is sufficiently refined, maybe you hear a man's voice when I'm hearing a woman's voice, depending on how you've reacted in the past to different men and women voices, because we don't see the same ad. If we go to the same website, we don't see the same ads. If I go from my computer and you go from yours, we see different things. So, So why do we know now that we're not hearing when you're hearing a man's voice, I'm hearing a woman's if it's a narrative situation. And you can see when they're talking, and they will decide if it's going to be male or female doing the talking if you can see them. But there could be two versions of a narrative for everything. And it, and it does matter. If it's a, a tenth of a percent change in attitude, that's worth $100 million bucks to Amazon. So maybe they're doing that now. Who knows? Well, I think uh, another uh, somewhat unrelated note, but something that I thought of earlier that I think is important to bring up is that, and this is often because of a lot of legislation they did in Europe, but if you notice, you can actually find out the way, at least that on paper they're tracking your digital footprint. Most websites these days, that thing that we click through that says click here to view my, click yes to view my page. If you read the text, it says, here's our privacy policy. We have to give this to you because other countries in the world have, have made it legislation that we have to give this to you. Um, and you can click and read it. And of course I've done that a couple of times. I don't do it every time, obviously, but a lot of times in an effort to keep my digital footprint small, when I see that pop up, if I don't want to read the terms of service, I just click back. I just get off the page. Um, and that's, you know, that's a sacrifice that I know a lot of people are not willing to take because they came there for a reason. But for me, I say, you know, I don't trust it. So I'm just going back. At least to this question, then, to what you think of as minimizing your footprint has a cost in how you relate to the rest of society today, where you go online, what you learn, what you read, where you apply for jobs, all those things are being by, by trying to control your footprint and is it the cost you give up worth what you've actually protected because believe me they got pictures of you in your underwear that you are not 
you are not off the grid. You're not hidden. You're not hacked. You're, you, you don't own shit. Uh, you just own less than somebody who's heavily invested. Uh, the the only thing I'll say to that, uh, the only thing that really concerns me about the way that I interact and the, the frankly kind of weird way that I interact as compared to most people is that, and this bothered me too when cell phones started becoming a thing because I lived through the transition when there was no cell phones on the street to when everybody had a cell phone. But at that time when that started happening, I remember thinking it was really unfair and, you know, the world's unfair, cry me a river, but I, thinking that it was really unfair that it hindered your ability to get a job if you couldn't afford to get a cell phone. And now social media is sort of that same way. It's not an affording right. thing, but essentially because I don't have a social media profile, that could make me suspicious or unhirable in the eyes of Precisely. my employers. Oh, yeah. That's, but, oh, yeah. That's but my trade-off is... You know, and everybody complains about it and everybody says, oh, it's so unfair that they're doing this to us. But at the same time, we just bend down and take it. So either you can say it's unfair and empower yourself to do something about it and live with the consequences, okay. or you can bend and do what they tell you to do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you watching. I just wonder about the cost benefits. Sorry, Bethany. No, that's fine. I was just, what Matt was saying, I think also that because technology and the loss to catch up with that is going to be at least 50 years behind because that's how we law here in the United States. We apparently don't do it. Well, um, so I think that you get behind the social media is to say, okay, um, I realize they're going to have all of this information. They're going to have my demographics. They're going to have where I live. They're going to have where I shop, what I buy, who I talk to already. Um, and maybe in 50 years from now, they're going to pay us for it because that's ultimately we're the ones we're also the consumer and the user on this end, um, and and the, uh, the 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 product and the and the user. I meant to say. Um, so I know eventually we'll catch up with that. But for right now, if we take away the demonization of it all, I enjoy the fact that I can go onto Netflix and have three different accounts, and one's just for me, and it shows me all the great stuff that only I want to see, and gives me suggestions for what I want to use. So there is a lot of good things about this digital footprint to market straight to you and about you, and uh, it, there's a comfort in that. In some ways, if you take away the insidiousness of the rest. You can you 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 can find you can find enjoyment and comfort in the fact that they're going to own you and they're going to know you anyway. You might as well uh, kick back and, and and relax in some of it. So that's a cost benefit analysis that works for you in favor of giving it up. And I, I think well, you both you both you got to make your own call. But I think you both are using good logic. It's not like you think there's lizard people telling you what to do. Well, and either, either way you go, uh, it is important. I mean, it is your digital shadow, and there are ways to secure that information. There are going to be people that always have it, uh, and it's like you say you have to you have to do that cost benefit analysis. But even once you've decided what the co what cost you're willing to to pay for what benefits, there's still ways to secure that data. Uh, not so people don't have it or so that they don't use it, but so that bad faith actors don't have access to it. Yes. Oh, oh, go go ahead. oh no, I wasn't really going to add much. <laughs> go for it. I was just going to, um, as we were getting ready to wrap up, sort of, um, I think you guys are making great points. And I think that um, just the collection of, of big data is, continuously going to be ramped up more and more and we'll 
it'll be interesting to see uh, over the next couple of years, you know, two, three years, where um, what that looks like. Um, I was just going to ask, um, because I recently had um, made the switch from, I've always been a Samsung phone user, and I made the switch just last year to using, um, to using Apple. And I think probably one of the biggest things that I've enjoyed um, from Switch is that um, I recognize that Apple does, I do feel like Apple has demonstrated a higher level of concern for my data privacy um, in sort of like some of my interactions with the phone asking me if I trust particular um, devices when I plug some, you know, plug it into a computer, um, pretty much just asking me um, if I want to, like if I'm putting in my information for to purchase something that will require my phone password. Um, it's not something I ever really got with Samsung. So um, I wanted to ask if you guys had heard about there was like an update coming up that would um, actually require that opt-in um, for um, essentially anyone who's using um, you basically can choose whether you opt in to allow Facebook or, um, you know, social media platforms to track your data across other um, company websites and such. Um, but I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting to hear. And I was wondering if more companies, you know, if that was effective, started to follow suit with something like that. But, um, Having a devastating impact on the bottom line for advertisers because it takes away their targeting ability. And it, it changes the whole dynamics of internet advertising, which is the basis of why you think things are free. Uh, it's a good and a bad thing. Uh, it, it, it's going to cost you. I mean, it, it's it, it's uh, it's one of those two-edged sword things, man. It's it. I don't know if I like it or I don't. Going to change the model of internet big time now. Well, it'll be like when well, when we were younger and we had to pay for everything. So when free things started coming out, we all said. Why are why are these things free? It, but now we don't even think that. We just think everything should be free. But you know, yeah. well, that's why the locally can't have a paid concert. Uh, people in the parks show up and they want you to give them five bucks, and nobody ever pays to go to the park. You get your Grammy winners and everything for nothing. Why am I going to give you thirty five bucks to hear some guy with a record? Uh, it's it's free. That, that's our culture now, and. Once they start tightening the screws and minimizing what you're allowed to get, it's going to make a tough adjustment for some people. And they're doing it now incrementally. Like, that's just six bucks a month for Netflix. Well, I need the better version, so it's 12 bucks a month. And then I got Amazon as 18 bucks a month. And pretty soon I'm getting like $500 a month wrapped up in entertainment and shit. My life isn't that, you know, I'm not that empty. I don't need that much entertainment. And that's an exaggeration. But I don't pay for news. That's a problem. I want to read the New York Times. They want money. Sorry. No, we we got to wrap hey, up. So one I last thing. <clears throat> one last thing, too, and, I, and I'll shut up. Uh, a lot of IT and data experts, and not to scare anybody out there that's listening, uh, all firmly believe that it's not if your data is going to fall into the hands of bad actors, it's when. Over the, over the course of time and the larger your footprint and your shadow become, it's going to happen. So take some time as a diligent web user and research some remediation techniques. It's not that difficult. It'll take you 20 minutes. But sooner or later, all of our data is going to fall into somebody's hands and we're going to want it back. I take the position that it already has and it hasn't been used yet, but they got it. They just haven't gotten to your name in the scroll. Sorry, Christy. No, I think that's a great point, William, just uh, for the average consumer to just remain proactive and recognize sort of how um, 
people teach us when we're driving to always be on the defense and consider, you know, what could happen, sort of um, kind of recognizing that in terms of data as well and just making sure that we do apply our own cost of benefit analysis when we're determining, you know, how much of our data that we really want to um I guess just sort of put out there. But I will wrap us up for this episode because we are reaching the end of it. Um, I would like to say thanks again so much to my coworkers, you guys for participating. And thank you to the viewers out there for joining us for another episode of Mind on Media. As always, you can find all things media literacy and media production on our website, www.aocinc.org. And we hope that you'll tune in for our next episode discussing more relevant media literacy topics. Until next time. Mind on Media is a presentation of AOC Community Media. Our producer is Christy Tracy. Contributors include Mandy Ayo, Ed Bowie, Joe Ferguson, Bethany Ivey, William McFarlane, Matt Roberts, Skip Shannon, and Jacob White. For more information about media literacy and more, visit AOCINC.org. While you're there, become a member and a media creator. Click the join button and join our community of producers. Check out our YouTube channel, AOC Community Media, for tutorials and videos from our community producers. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for AOC Community Media.